yeah, a safe pair of hands, unflappable, seeing these business models come and go, are not quite so emotionally invested, although I am very invested in, in what I do. I, I, I didn't mean it like that, but it's not, it's not everything to me. Whereas, you know, some of the 30-year-olds get very exercised about things that, that just would pass me by now. On today's episode, our guest is Linda Davidson from Group M, and we're going to be talking all about not just ageism, but career shifting and how transferable skills can be taken from careers outside of the technology sector and into tech. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. Welcome to the COVID podcast. I'm joined by Akish, COVID Kalantha, and Hayley. <laughs> I feel really mean. Uh, how are you both? Uh, yeah, all right, all right. Can't looking over. Yeah, yeah, can't complain. We're yeah, we're all right. But look, look at the commitment. You've both got COVID, but you can still do the podcast because you're stuck at home with nothing else to do. Well, Help you work. Yeah, exactly. But also, it just helps keep your mind of it. Otherwise, plimmin' yeah. hell, man. Put on the news, put on the TV, that's all you hear, on your phones. Do you know what I mean? It just helps keep your mind of things. Well, mate, put on CNN and then they're just talking about Trump and the impeachment. Impeachment. Yeah, well. Like, that, that, that's not COVID. Um, yeah, I feel like I, sh- I, I just sharing your medical kind of recent history with everyone. I'm sorry about that. But, you know, if, if anyone coughs then there'll be sympathy rather than, than anything else. There you go. Exactly. People, there's, there's a lot of people, I mean, what, what, one in 20 in London have got COVID now, so there's going to be a lot of people sympathising with you. Mm, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But we'll one in 20. Anyway. Um, <laughs> right. Today's interview, uh, we are talking to Linda Davidson. She is from Group M. It's all about inclusion. It's about career shifting. It's about ageism. We'll dive straight into the interview, um, and then we'll have some commentary on it afterwards. So today I am chatting to Linda Davidson. Linda, you're from Group M. Thank you for taking some time to have a chat with me this morning. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, really good. Glad it's Friday. <laughs> I was going to say it's a Friday morning. Have you had a, have you had a good week? Yeah, I've had a great week, actually. I've had a really busy week. And I've been in the office three times this week, which is an absolute luxury given the COVID times that we find ourselves in. Um, I had to go in for various reasons, and it was just so nice to be in the West End with people that I work with. I mean, there were only eight of us in the office, but that just felt fantastic. And also, I really like the people that I work with. Yeah. So, you know, it, that that in itself was was um, great. And Let's face it. I mean, that, that's that's the the attraction of work for a lot of us, right? Is that community and and yeah. the bonds that we have with our with our colleagues. Yeah, and I really value that, and I really value them. And you know, I work with a lot of um, very clever engineers and data scientists, and you know, the energy that they have and completely different skill sets to the ones that I have. So I, I find that I'm energized by their energy and, and by what they're trying to achieve. So yeah, it's, um, it's a shame that, you know, there's only eight of us in the office, but I still am very grateful for that. Yeah. So what, what was the role that you performed that you went in there to do over those three days? 
so I am business operations. And so I look after most of the back office functions. Mm-hmm. And so everything from IT to finance, legal, uh, HR. And when I say look after, I, I, they don't all report into me. I just have a helicopter view of those work streams and ensure the smooth running of the organization from an operational perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I was in was because uh, we've got some people going off on maternity leave and one or two other things. So I needed to be sending stuff off. Um, a few people have requested office chairs and facilities falls underneath me and, um, you know, screens and that kind of thing for home working. So, so I had the, the joy and the opportunity and the excuse to go into work to facilitate and enable that. So actually, before we get into anything else, this is, this is an interesting question because I've been into the city a couple of times and it feels different Obviously, it was great to go in and see colleagues. It was going into central London to the West End. You know, a lot of those businesses, a lot of the places where you'd go to eat lunch and so on, weren't open around us in the city. And I mm. imagine that this is something that would be replicated in lots of cities across the UK. Mm. And what was your emotional reaction, I suppose, just, just at a very fundamental level to going back in and maybe seeing some places not open that it would have been? So, so I get the bus from home, from outside the, the Cambridge Circus, which of course is a massive theatre, and then yeah. go through Shaftesbury Avenue. And to see all of those theatres dark literally brings a tear to my eye nearly every night when I go home on the bus. And that for me is significant. The cinema on Tottenham Court Road, that great big view cinema, is only open two days a week. That That again elicits an emotional response. Interestingly, there are lots and lots of um, independent on along Charlotte Street and around Gooch Street, um, little restaurants and cafes. They're all springing back, which is it's lovely to see. So, you know, every day I'll try and go into a different one to at least even just to buy a cup of tea, um, you, you know, just just so that I'm spending some money, even if it's £2.50. Uh, but, yeah, it's... It's 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 a it's a tough watch. On the good side, there are less and less homeless people around, so they've mm-hmm. all been scooped up and are in host- hostels. There's one girl called Tina who um, she sits outside Warren Street Tube Station, and she's not been there for ages, which is great. She did say that she was they'd given her a hostel the last time I saw her. So, you know that that on the plus side is really really good. Now, look, you touch on something there that, that I think is a really nice segue into talking a little bit about you and, and, and what you're doing. Because whilst business operations and sorting out facilities for Group M doesn't necessarily hint at it, you have a slightly different background. And your emotional response to things like Cambridge Circus and the theatres and so on around that part of town mm. is born out of, of a past life that was very much not technology. That's right. I had a career change in my early 30s. I was an actor up until that point. I'd been an actor for nearly 15 years. And happily so. Loved it, in fact. And then um, I was writing for um, a science programme, which some people of a certain age, vintage, will will remember called Tomorrow's World. And it was a really... I hope, I hope most people. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. It's you're not, very young. Well, it's not been on air for 
how long? 15, 20 years? Oh, maybe. Christ, yeah. that, that's, that's scary. Right, okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, so I was writing for that, and there were a group of engineers working away in the corner, and they were making, you know, literally making ones and zeros communicate across the heaven. And I was blown away by it. I, I couldn't, I mean, I just, it's like, oh my God, this changes everything. And of course it did go on to change absolutely everything. Um, and I had I had one gig, I was off to do a tour of, of an Alan Aitbourne play and it was a lovely part. So I went on off and did that and then went back to the BBC as a junior researcher on the launch team of bbc.co.uk mm-hmm. and um yeah never never i mean apart from 18 months ago going back for one episode in eastenders <laughs> i haven't i haven't i haven't acted at all for 20 odd years now and um i don't miss it at all i love absolutely love what i do i didn't think that it would be forever i thought I thought I would do that and then go off and do another acting job. But I just didn't. I, I stayed there as part of the launch team, then went to Channel 4, then went to Discovery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's just gone on from, from there. So I started off in a creative role at the BBC, uh, helping the, the engineers with creative applications for what they were building. And yeah. then slowly, slowly, oh, that's what it was. I went to Discovery in a creative role and it, it soon dawned on me that it was actually an operational role. And so sort of switched gear slightly and discovered that I was good at it and liked it. So look, let's just focus on something that, that um, and, and I kind of touched this sensitively, the government have come in for, for justified criticism around their adverts around kind of a dancer who might become a, a cybersecurity analyst. Uh, I have plenty of uh, people in my family who work and are involved in the arts. Uh, my wife also was a, was an actor. Uh, my brother-in-law is a musician. My uncle was a musician. Um, the creative and, and the arts industry generates a huge amount of uh, not just culturally, but also financially. Uh, and, you know, it has been pointed out just how many creative people would have been involved in putting together that campaign. But if we look at the flip side and we go, okay, all of that to one side, and it is all very important, absolutely, to make sure that we protect the arts. If you are someone who is struggling or maybe looking for a career change and there are opportunities in technology, what do you think? actually you were able to bring to the industry from your creative background that stood you in good stead to have the kind of success and the career that you've enjoyed so far? It's a really good question. Firstly, I do want to touch on that tone deaf campaign. It was tone deaf. (laughs) It was awful. Yes. Not to say that a ballet dancer could not become a cyber security expert, you know, that that that's not it. It was completely contemptuous of the arts, and not not only that, it was so contemptuous that the person that they used in the poster wasn't even a ballet dancer. You could yeah. tell by her feet. Yeah. 
So they didn't even bother to use a dancer. So, so for me, it was contemptuous on many levels. That said, if said ballet dancer wants to become a, a cybersecurity expert and earn a shed load of money, because they do, and stop being on minimum wage, which is what dancers earn, or with all of that training, um, then fantastic. What I would say from my own experience is that I was able to bring a level of communication to a traditionally uncommunicative, making vast generalizations here, um, skill set. So, for example, you had a bunch of engineers that were making BBC Online, but they didn't have... A, the creative application of what, how you could communicate to an audience. So they could make it happen, but making it happen in a way that would pro provoke an emotion or a laughter or, or, or you know, or something that, that, um, that we needed a creative application. So it needed somebody that could, that understood how to communicate. And so that's, and an adaptability. So, from my personal experience, what I was able to bring was that layer of communication and creativity and help them um, with that. And, and conversely, they, they were amazingly patient with me and helping me understand what they were doing and, and what they were building. And then, you know, if we had an idea, then we, we would just literally build it there and then. So, um, so there was that, but I think, I think if we're, Thinking more generally, I would say adaptability is is probably the the skill that that we all perhaps need, particularly now. How important was it to have management and and colleagues around you who helped you transition? Because as you said, there you brought a whole load of skills and how to how to relate to an audience that yeah. possibly they they didn't have, but at the same time you needed someone who could understand and unlock what you had and translate that to their business, right? Yeah, and and I, I did work with some incredible people. I mean, I worked with a chap called Andy Conroy, who's um, still at the BBC, in fact, and he was very instrumental in, in my journey. And then a woman who was head of drama called Susan Spindler, again, extremely influential, uh and 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 i would say mentored me actually informally mm -hmm. um and and also you know i, I knew a lot of the, these people anyway because i had been an actor and so i knew i knew them in a different professional capacity so there was already a, a short shorthand yeah. um so although it was an alternate professional capacity that I was then communicating and working with them around, there, there, was, there was still an understanding that I understood what they needed to communicate because I was one of them and I could, uh, I could take that back to the engineers and translate it. 
I guess actually most of my career has been the translator between the technologists and the front end, the creativity, the, I I think that's right, actually. I think even now it is with, um, at Group M, you know, I facilitate uh, the bridge, as it were, I guess. Yeah. Which is still, when you talk about architects and business Mm. analysis, Yes. And those, those those wonderful communication skills that people often need that are lacking from technology departments sometimes mm. are still hugely valuable, right? Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And um, I'm glad they are because otherwise I might not be employed. Well, look, here's another point to, to, to touch on uh, as well. You've been employed now for some time. Yeah. Um, but by no means are you necessarily towards the end of your career, but some people might look at you and class you and say, oh, well, maybe you're beginning to think about retirement and so on and so forth. <laughs> but perhaps, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, um, yes, try I said. To, try to put this as delicately as I can. Thank you. But there is, there is a <laughs> stigma. There is a stigma when you hit 50. And there are a lot of people who will have lost their jobs in recent times due to the pandemic who may be, uh, from a stereotypical and societal perspective, the wrong side of 50, and now maybe finding it very difficult to find opportunities and to find a place where their skills are valued. What is the argument? What is the counter argument to say, come on, guys, th- there is a whole um, pool of talent and resource that can add real value to organizations that is in danger of being overlooked? Yes. So I certainly don't draw attention to my age in the workplace, although I'm sure people do know how old I am. And I certainly, from a female gender perspective, don't either. That said, it is illegal to disqualify yes. on, 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 for, from an age perspective. So firstly, let's, let's, um, let's qualify that. But secondly, I think, and I can I can only speak for myself and, and, and my peer group, really. And I've done a few talks to organizations around being over 50 and, and in the workplace and what, what that might mean. However, you're right, people who have lost their jobs recently and you know, quite a lot of them have been in very senior positions and haven't worked for a few years and they're wondering whether or not this is it and that they should officially retire and do something else or they should go and retrain and do something else. What I can say is that I have been employed, latterly at least, because I'm seen as a safe pair of hands. And what I mean by that, and actually I have been described as that um, only in the last six months. And it actually was a real surprise because obviously in my head, I'm only 24 and still a a rebel, you know, Um, as as all old people say. Uh, um, Yeah, a safe pair of hands unflappable, seeing these business models come and go, are not quite so emotionally invested 
although I am very invested in in what I do. I I didn't mean it like that, but it's not it's not everything to me. Whereas you know some of the thirty year olds get very exercised about things that that just would pass me by now. So that's not patronising anyway. If it felt no, patron- no, that's true. It felt like, patronising coming out of my mouth, and I I know that I can have my soapbox moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's I I know that is why I am there. So I understand that's my role mm. to to be the calm voice of reason and just helping people get to you know get get there. Um, so yeah, I, I think there is a value in that. And in fact, one of my oldest mates um, is an agency another agency competitor actually and i know that she's she's of a similar vintage and i know that she's there for the same reason and and that has been articulated to her in the same way it has it has to me Hmm. so i guess i guess it's you know I, i i i guess that's the value that we that we bring and it's that experience isn't it to be to be able to say Actually, I think I, I think we might have been here before. Let's let's have a look at it as a whole. Let's learn from what happened and let's take it forward in a new direction. And it's hugely valuable. Mm-hmm. Look, I really appreciate you taking some time to touch on two. I think two t- subjects that aren't discussed perhaps as much as they could be, and are really relevant and and topical right now and i think will affect a lot of people there are a lot of people who are coming out of one industry and perhaps thinking about another there are a lot of people who are looking for work and might feel that that things are stacked against them and i think there's 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 some real positives in what you said that hopefully can can kind of resonate with people and and prove really inspiring so i I appreciate your time linda especially on a friday uh When our brains perhaps are a bit more sluggish than they are on a Monday morning. Oh, I'm on the green tea. We don't get sluggish on green tea. <laughs> Very healthy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I, I appreciate your time and uh, have a lovely weekend. Right, Hayley, what stood out for you uh, in the interview? Oh, straight in, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going like, to put you on the spot. Um, well, she, first of all, sounds like she's had such an interesting career, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as well, I think when she was talking about ageism, um, I think that's a really important subject and actually something that's quite important to me as well as I've seen it firsthand and we in our role, we speak we speak to people all the time who are slightly older, um, been out of work, maybe, I mean, as you get older, things happen, don't they? You might be, have to care for someone, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. You might have personal health issues and you're struggling to get back into um, a role and I just feel like it's quite hard and I feel like it's unfortunately although we don't focus on that personally there are a lot of companies out there that will without thinking just prefer like go for a younger person and you can't be like that I think there's so much talent so much experience to be um have with these people and I do really feel like then people miss out on a big talent pool um I mean and to like reliability with um, people who are slightly older um like they've got vast experience they're, they're keen you know I feel like a lot of companies are missing a trick and I want to see more like in the years to come about 
returnships and how people can get back into work when they've yeah. been out of it. Um, something I mean, you really want to see. The fear really gets we we can see from from the tech survey that Harvey Nash put out a few years ago that the fear really sets in from about forty five. There's going to be a hell of a lot of people that due to for, that sorry that due to the pandemic have lost their jobs, been made redundant past the age of forty five. Definitely, and that is not old. Now being thirty six, the I I still think I'm kind of at the beginning of my career. The idea that in nine years I'll be be like, oh, I'm a bit past it, is frankly terrifying. And I still think I still would like to think in in nine years I've got a fair amount to give, right? Mm. So it's a really weird one, like. Why Why would you discount so much experience? But what's quite obvious from listening to Linda is a huge amount of enthusiasm still to give. Do you not, do you not think, um, do you not think the moments that we're in at the moment, like right now and kind of where we are, do you reckon employers or those that are in hiring kind of capacity, do you reckon that, you know, they might be a bit more open to, kind of life getting in the way and maybe if it is someone that's a little bit older but can offer you know different experiences and different types of knowledge you reckon they'd be open to bring those sorts of candidates in and 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 kind of just shake up the, the talent pool uh, yeah. i mean look if we're being brutally honest as well the, the reason that people talk about culture and whatever else the 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 illegal and negative side of this is people choose people that they think they want to go for a drink with and stuff mm, mm. off the table that is completely off the table yeah exactly like, who gives a shit because we're all in our houses and you might not even be in the same country anymore because we're all working remotely so what does that matter anymore i think yeah. it might help focus on 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 the the real reasons for for bringing talent into your organization also i i've read something the other day right um i can't remember where i read it it was one of these online forums but it was like um organizations will be will now be leaning more towards bringing in people that are a bit older because they have kids that aren't in primary school and kind of kids that don't need homeschooling so it was like suddenly they've become in fashion now so whereas someone who's like 35 odd or you know let's say mid to late 30s or whatever they might have children that are in primary school or they might have children that need kind of constant home schooling right yeah. where the parent then has to make a decision between do i educate my my you know son or daughter or do i do my job full time and and how do i balance it those that are on the the, the kind of i guess you know the the older or, or, the, or the kind of you know um yeah the older end of, of the the spectrum they, their kids are, are kind of moved out or at uni or whatever so they actually can give a lot of their day um, yeah, jobs. which is great. That, like it's a wider talent pool, but that's still that's that's like, hey, we're doing this, but because it's driven by a negative discrimination mm. towards school age families, which is a bit shit. Exactly. But so oh. you so you yeah. can't do um, like you can't do right in this situation. But I do think there should just be. It sh I feel like although companies preach equality. There isn't really like they say now. There's like things in place where it's like you want it to be fifty fifty um, female to male ratio. But what about people who are older or people who have been out of work? What about them? There should be uh, like something put in place where they need to have a certain amount of people, just so everyone's getting everything's more inclusive. Because if those things aren't done, like unfortunately, it feels like it's naturally they choose people who are in the positions you just what you see. What, positions that we were just talking about yeah. um like in that age group um 
So, yeah, I do definitely think that there needs to be something in place. And it can be done because we've seen it with females um, and um, other diverse cultures as well. So I think that needs to be something that's highlighted. I actually did an article on this about two years ago, I think, um, writing about it. And basically it was about are you discarding talent? And it is because of that older and the older generation. I do truly believe that a lot of companies are. And as as she said, you know, 30-year-olds get vexed. They do, <laughs> you know. I I have soapbox moments, as I say in in the interview. Like, absolutely, I get I get wound up about stuff and go off the rails, and that's probably less likely to happen when you're a bit older because you're not as impulsive and stupid. Perhaps I've, I've seen a quiche get vexed in the office. <laughs> <laughs> There's a surprise. <laughs> what was that over? Um, it was a, te- a teammate. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> I've, yeah, I'm very used to getting vexed in the office. Need <laughs> a few more grey hairs, and then you'll be a, a calmer presence. There you go, oh, mate. I've, I've noticed how much grey I've got in lockdown since, <laughs> since you can't have a haircut and you can't get your beard like done. I've noticed how many grey hairs I have. That's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm getting to your level, mate. Silver fox soon. I reckon, <laughs> mate. I, I, right. I was on a call the other day uh, with someone who was like, "Oh, so I, I, I hadn't done anything with my hair, and it was—it's getting rather long." This is very off-topic, and he was like, "You're kind of new romantic," and I was like, "That is not good if you're referencing '80s bands like Adam and the Ants for my look." Wow. Then someone else chipped in with, "It's a bit more busted," and I was like, "Oh God, that's even worse." Anyway. Um, <laughs> Back what about this career? Yeah, back onto this. No, well, not ageism, but let's 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 change change gear a little bit because mm-hmm. this is something that I do really care about. Um, uh, it's because my wife went through a very similar um, transition. She was an actress who now works as a technology project manager, and when she was interviewing for that role, she's like, "Yeah, but I haven't got any experience." And it's like dealing with 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 difficult working environments and stakeholders and whatever else. And it's like, "Are you kidding? You worked in a theatre production." How many more prima donnas do you want to deal with? Like, mm. you don't think you can deal with a difficult stakeholder? And listening to Linda just made me remember those kind of conversations because if you have worked in the arts, you're going to work with some people with some ego. Absolutely. Like, mm. I don't care how stereotyped that is. Loads of members of my family are in the arts. They've got egos. That's how they become performers. <laughs> um, so you are dealing with people in high-pressured situations where you're putting on a performance on tight timescales. Of course, those skills are transferable to technology and corporate careers. The way the government went about it was shit, but it doesn't mean actually that there isn't something in the fact there's a lot of very good transferable skills that can be taken in the corporate environments. Mm. That was a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. I, I agree with you, to be honest. Like, I think we should be more open to that. And, and I think the tests will be different now. Right. So people that, um, you know, let, let, let's use technology as a, as an example, people that are from coming from a, you know, technology organization might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really good at managing you know, stakeholders or really good at kind of communicating stuff, but they might not be used to communicating like we need to communicate now or necessarily have the people patience, you know, um, I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, in the office, uh, something that would take about 10, 15 minutes now takes two hours because you can't just walk over to people and, 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 you know, kind of get stuff done. So yeah. I think, I think it's a different, different skill set um, that people maybe need to just kind of understand. And if there is pe- if there are people out there who are changing their, 
career, then I'm sure they'll be able to have certain things, you know, kind of come on. Um, yeah. And, and and kind of bring a new flavor to it. I don't know. That's what I think. But I think I think it's useful as well for people from those other industries to hear from someone like Linda going, no, of course, the skills that I've got were totally applicable to this setting. Because I think, I think, you know, with my own wife, she didn't realize that the skills that she got were transferable. Or, mm. or she didn't mm. back them to be as transferable as they are. And I think I think that's a useful message to yeah. say, no, what, what you can do is really valuable. Definitely. Yeah. And I, do you know what? I think that transferable skills is actually sometimes kind of brushed over. It's actually such a, a big thing. And, and people, so what if they don't have that skill? If it's a skill that like that, you can learn it. And I yeah. feel like a lot of people yeah, get dismissed on that on that sort of level as well. Um, obviously, there's some certain people who are slightly better at doing things than others. Um, but I, and I think that this whole situation that we're in now as a country, as a world, um, is hopefully going to give people people start getting more more of the benefit of the doubt and more opportunity from from this, like you was mentioning earlier. I think we'll go to our advert break. Linda, thank you for being our guest on this particular edition of the show and raising a, a couple of very valuable talking points there. When we come back, we're going to be talking about vaccine passports. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right. Okay. This this is topical for us, not just because vaccine passports are topical, but because in a couple of weeks, we've got uh, uh, an edition of the show that focuses specifically on vaccine passports with block solutions. Uh, so a bit of a trailer for an upcoming uh, episode. But this is uh, an article taken from the Ada Lovelace, from the Ada Lovelace Institute dot Org. So Ada Lovelace Institute. Um, this was sent across to us by Hannah Kitchener, who's uh, long been a supporter of the show. Uh, and it's all about the ethical concerns around vaccine passports. Um, so before, look, before we get into any kind of quick discussion, uh, Professor Sir Jonathan Montgomery, Professor of Health Care Law at University College London and Chair of the uh, Oxford University Royal Hospitals NHSFT, um, is a little bit about what he had to say. The pandemic is creating conditions for an accelerating individualized risk scoring, which may be used in future to help shape national societies and determine global movement. An infrastructure of digitally facilitated personal risk profiling might emerge once established. And, and that may become part of our social and global fabric. There are two big direct risks from that regime. The first, undesirable consequences associated with the sharing of private health data with multiple unconnected and unregulated parties on an individual's employability, insurability, and social status, and other important aspects of social participation. And the second is segregation and limiting of rights and freedoms on the basis of health status that can exacerbate inequalities and compound the already disproportionate effect of COVID-19 on marginalized communities. So he says basically that it's not insurmountable, but these 
are unquestionably uh, areas that need careful thought alongside policy instruments to mitigate inequalities. Um, two really interesting areas. Undesirable consequences of sharing private health data with unconnected and unregulated parties, especially when we're kind of talking about employability and insurability status. Um, and of course, whether or not this exacerbates um, inequalities when it comes to marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. Guys, you've both got COVID. Um, would you want there to be a vaccine passport? I don't know, not really. I don't know why I even feel like that, but I just feel like, is it really necessary? I don't know. I, just, I, thought, I, thought, I mean, people might be listening yeah. to this, are you silly? Of course it's necessary. I've thought on both sides. Uh, or I've, I've thought on both mm. sides. I've sat on both sides with it. I've sat on the, no, it's intrusive and anything that, you know, you need to prove that you don't have COVID, you can just get a kind of test or, or you know, when you talked yeah. about insurance and stuff, then, you know, I, I know there's kind of insurances that aren't paying out for COVID and, and, and these sorts of things um, in more recent times. But so, so I've sat on that one, right? But then I've also sat on the, well, yeah, 100%. You know, people might um, feel uncomfortable. People might have some kind of underlining health issues that, you know, may get triggered. Um, they don't necessarily want to be around those that are not, you know, they don't want to be around people that aren't protecting, you know, the the, the kind of bubble or, or protecting themselves and I don't know. It's such a tricky one. It's such a tricky one because, as far as I understand, here in the UK, um, I don't think we're. I don't think the government's rolling one out. Is that right? I think it mentioned it in the article. As far as I'm aware, not 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 yet. Yeah, uh, not yet. Um, but yeah, the government can change their mind at the drop of a hat at the moment. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm really torn between it. Like I, I get it, and and I get why people would think, yeah we we should have one but i also think it's hell of a lot in, like you know it's just so intrusive it's like what are you going to do you're going to show an app and that says you're you know covid like what like vaccinated person so you can get on a plane or to get into a pub or you know how, how and, then, do and then the segregation really and, and 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 the way that it might diminish already marginalized groups is a really big one but Equally, I think the biggest question here around data, you know, private healthcare data with unregulated companies, especially like mm. in the UK, mm. I think there is more regulation. Say we're dealing with push docs of Valor Health, um, Babylon Health, Valor, you know, uh, we've mentioned Valor, a number of these organizations that are working with the NHS. I think there is more regulation. You'd probably feel a bit safe. But in the States, these health tech businesses are not yeah. regulated. Think about Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. You both seen Aaron Brockovich? Yeah. yeah. Fucking great film. Brilliant film, right? And in that, <laughs> Very good the PGC&E or whatever the company is, you know, the beginning of it, Julia Roberts goes and talks to those people in Hinkley who've got cancer and whatever else, and they're like, yeah, but the doctors told us that it's got nothing to do with the water. It's like, yeah, but who paid for the doctors? Hmm. You've got yeah. real concerns where you're sharing personal data with unregulated organizations about how they use that data. Do they use it for you or do they use it for them? Yeah. And also, what is that data going to be used for, like moving forward, right? Is it going to be used for, is it going to hinder your chances to, I don't know, get into certain places, you know, jobs, education? How do you feel about it, Dave? I want to know. So... Look, in a few weeks, we've got Alex Tai, who's um, from Block Solutions, and they are talking to the Brazilian government about 
e-passports for 210 million citizens at the moment. That's going to be on the podcast in probably next week. It's a really Ooh. interesting chat. And they're using blockchain, so it's self-sovereign. So that um, they're basically, the pitch is that the organizations don't hold your data, the individual holds the data. I think e-passports and health passports and all of those things are coming, whether we like it or not. And it's just making sure that they're rolled out in a way that protects the individual and isn't yeah. isn't rolled out quickly and therefore actually just benefits organizations rather than the individual. It's an interesting one. It is. Uh, right. Look, you've, you've both struggled through with, with the situation of, of feeling shit and doing a podcast, so I, I thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate your efforts too. We're sorry if we sounded a bit off it, but, you know, promise we'll be back to... Uh... <laughs> I think that's understandable. We will be back next week. I'm